advice is find someone who's good enough and is willing to grow with you. Mm. And yeah. if they're willing to grow, you can use that insecure attachment as a platform to learn and grow. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state. We scraped the plate. I put my eggs in the basket. Took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Hey everyone, welcome on into an all new episode of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. As always, this is your host, Matt Labrie, and today we are joined by our friend, Julie Manano, as we dive into a conversation about creating secure love for ourselves, our partners, while developing an everlasting love. Now, this conversation is jam-packed with golden nuggets, to say the absolute least from Julie. So let me share some of the things you are going to take away from it. Number one, we are going to learn first and foremost how our relationship with ourself is impacting our relationship with others. And as this conversation progresses, we start to dive into a hot topic of attachment styles, but Julie puts a twist on it and shares how these are more stable like, quote unquote, almost in comparison to the weather. Very interesting perspective here from Julie, and I'm super excited for you to dive into that. Furthermore, we then begin to dive into how to actually develop the healthy relationship that we all crave, what it takes, if it's possible, and everything in between. Now to add, we even dive into finding out if our relationships are mendable, the current relationships we're in, if we're able to recover from the turmoil we may have experienced, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. Honestly, there is just so much more embedded within this episode. I can go on for days about what you are about to be exposed to, so I hope you are ready. Now, Julie has amassed a social following well over a million followers for a reason. She's a licensed couples therapist, an expert on attachment styles, and conflict resolution an author, a wife, and a mom of six outside of all of the professional accolades that I'm throwing at you. So it is safe to say that there is most definitely something to learn from her in this episode, and we are so excited that you're diving in with us. As always, I'm going to put it on your heart and put it on your mind to share this episode with someone who may need to hear what Julie and I are discussing today. There is someone, maybe near or far, who can use this and you have the power to deliver it to them. So take that quick second. It's such a quick second to hit the share button, throw it on your Instagram story, or drop it in your group chat to impact someone's life. And now without further ado, we bring to you Julie Manano. So I'm going to re-ask you that question that I just asked you, and maybe we'll get a little bit deeper on it. How are you okay. really? How am I really? Um, that's a great, you know what? I like that question. Um, I'm good. I had a, I, I was kind of, kind of low, low, low energy all weekend. And is that because of the weather? No, I think it's because I had a hard time sleeping at the end of last week. And then I had a pretty hard Pilates workout on Friday and it just kind of all came together. So this morning I woke up feeling like myself again. So that well, that's a good thing. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Especially to start the week. Right. I mean, we definitely want to start yes. the week feeling, feeling good. So I'm so glad to hear that. Where are you based? I'm in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, okay, cool. Well, so yep. super early for you. What time is it by you? Seven? It's seven. Yes. Yep. Nice and early. How, where are you okay. based? I'm in New York City. Oh, nice. I love New York. Yeah, I'm in New York City. Okay, so let's dive into this. I mean, Sounds good. 
so many questions, right? Just from seeing your work pop up over the years on social or uh, interviews or whatever the case may be. And I want to throw out, I don't know, maybe this is a cliche question to start. I really don't know, but it leads me to a very curious place because I've asked it before and I've found mm-hmm. different responses. And I think that's the best thing about podcasting, right? It's just hearing the unique perspectives of everyone, whether it be from your personal experience or work or beyond. I am curious mm-hmm. to learn what you find are the biggest, I don't want to use the word issues, but maybe hurdles with modern day relationships. Top three per se. You know, yeah, it's it's interesting because there's so many, and I it, depending on the day, I might choose one over the other, right? So, <laughs> um, I know for for sure too. One is well, the the main one is when couples get stuck in negative cycles, right? Okay. So, I guess that would kind of work, working backwards from there would be um, the core problem is that when each partner has an insecure attachment. Um, with themselves that kind of stems usually from childhood experiences. You know, sometimes you'll have someone that picks that up in a really damaging adult relationship, but most of us are carrying stuff over from childhood. And so it leaves us with this really insecure relationship with our own emotions and our own selves. And then we bring that into a relationship with someone else who also has, you know, that that nature of relationship with their self. And then we just create this sort of fear based cycle, uh, cycles of communication. Um, the way that we're communicating with each other effectively, um, reinforces the insecurity that was already there to begin with. Right. And, um, over time, it just really starts to not only take a toll on their emotional closeness to varying degrees. You know, some people are obviously more, this is more negatively impactful to their lives than others. Um, And then on the other side of the coin, it um, just gets in the way of them really being able to kind of work through problems that we have Mm -hmm. in life, especially where they have, you know, they don't completely see eye to eye, which all couples have those areas. So then not only are they kind of harming their trust and emotional connection and sex life, a lot of times goes with that. Then they're also having a really hard time just kind of working through problems, which creates more conflict, which, which creates more opportunity to damage their emotional bond. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious to learn if our attachment style can change like the seasons can, meaning one day you feel one way, maybe that's secure. Mm -hmm. Maybe the next day you feel anxiously attached. Like, is Mm -hmm. that possible? Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it as, um, a matter of attachment states and attachment Mm -hmm. style. So we all pretty much have kind of a predominant attachment style. Um, that's that we would define as, you know, how it shows up in our very, very closest relationships where the emotional stakes are the highest. So, you know, you might show up some way with your friends, but with a partner, you know, you, you have more, most people, right. I'm speaking generally have higher emotional expectations with a romantic partner. Um, Most people are going to have a more prolonged period of grief, more powerful Mm -hmm. grief with a partner. So we're really looking for the, at the relationships where that energy is, is the highest and where there's the most on the line. Okay. And so 
that's where we're really going to define your, your attachment style, because there's an, there needs to be an attachment bond, but then even within that you have attachment, you know, states where you might feel more or less anxious or avoidant about a topic. But, you know, when I'm working with couples, you know, 99 plus percent of the time there, there's some enough pattern for me to latch onto yeah. and work with cons as a consistent I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I just look back on my personal experiences and I'm like, you know what? There were moments where I felt like I was just up and down, whether it be, um, you know, I had anxious moments or I felt like super mm -hmm. secure in the relationship or not. So uh, I'm yeah, glad to get that's some normal because it, it also is, is depending on what's going on in the moment of the relationship. So exactly. I like to look at it as overall climate, you know, in an overall climate, do most, do both partners feel secure? Do they feel valued? Do they feel validated? Do they feel appreciated? You know, and then we have these periods of ruptures, kind of like bad weather, mm -hmm. um, which all couples have. And so, you know, the difference is, is that secure couples will be able to repair from those ruptures and they will feel yucky in those ruptures, right? But they'll be able to repair and get back to their climate. Whereas insecure couples, those ruptures kind of define the relationship. Yeah. You're, you're bringing me to a question right now. I'm trying to formulate this quickly. I understand that our negative cycles or whatever they may be stem from our personal childhood, right? As the individual, but how much of the way that we find ourselves in a relationship, whether it be anxiously attached, et cetera, et cetera, also stems from our partner. So what happens if our partner meets us where we are and somehow finds a way to you know, I guess I don't want to use the term fill the void, but mm -hmm. meet us at a certain place where that anxious attachment is actually secure. Is that, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. That's called an earned secure attachment. And so that's mm -hmm. what happens. You know, um, attachment styles are relational. So we're always getting, going to be our level of fear and the way that we manage those relationship fears are always going to be heavily impacted by the relationship that we're in, even as something as casual as the person checking you out at the market, if they're giving you a dirty look and you have an insecure attachment already, and that kind of dives into your stuff, you might have more of a reaction, but if they smile and say, hello, you might feel safe and secure with that person. Mm. So that, you know, we're always wor working on it on the relationship level, but let's say to your point, you go into a relationship and you have kind of a lean towards anxiousness, but you're in a relationship with someone who has more of a secure attachment, meaning they know how to manage conflict. They know how to, um, you know, be emotionally available without getting emotionally overwhelmed that is going to pull out more of that secure side of you because you're going to feel safe. The, the secure people, they feel safe in their cells and they help other people feel safe because it's just the way they are in the world. Uh, I could explain, you know, that in more detail, but the problem is this with that logic is that most people who have an insecure attachment, they're not gravitating towards safe people to begin with. They're not gravitating towards security because they don't know what it is. They don't know what it feels like. And then, you know, sadly, those with secure attachment are gravitating more toward other people with secure attachment because that's what they know. It's just what feels good to them. So that kind of complicates it. Um, I would say that 
very much it is possible to earn a secure attachment. You know, you can do that with lots of different close relationships in your life, even a therapist, you know, that's kind of what you're doing with a therapist, a good therapist, you're developing a secure attachment with them first and foremost. You can't really grow in therapy without a secure attachment with the therapist. So with that said, let's say, um, I'm going to throw out a statistic that is not clinic, that is not research backed that to my knowledge, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's say 70%, 75% of people with an insecure attachment are going to end up in a relationship with someone else with an insecure attachment. Maybe even, I would, I would probably say it's higher than that. Yeah. So, so on the, the flip me, sorry, I just want to no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. The goal for me as a therapist isn't to say, Hey, go find someone to be, who has a secure attachment. Cause that's a pretty tall order. When you really think about what goes into that, yeah. my, my advice is find someone who's good enough and is willing to grow with you. Mm. And yeah. if they're willing to grow, you can use that insecure attachment as a platform to learn and grow. So it sounds pretty positive to me if someone is able to, you know, from, from an insecure perspective, find someone that is secure. And essentially it sounds like proximity is power in that sense where, you know, the proxim being in proximity of someone that can handle conflict, et cetera, et cetera, pulls that out of you. Am yes. I interpreting that correctly? Like, is that positive? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it, let, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for the person who's more secure because they're going to be kind of for a while, at least the, the emotional, a lot of the emotional, um, you know, they have to sort of take more of the emotional responsibility in a moment. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very positive. You know, I just like to balance that out with the fact that it's hard to create that pairing to begin with. It's not, you know, a lot of people, they read something about attachment and they say, okay, well, my job here then is if I have an insecure attachment to work on myself and then also just pair up with someone else who has a secure attachment, but that's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. And one of those reasons is because it's difficult to even recognize it. Some people are intimidated by it. They're used to kind of a certain level of what for dysfunction in a relationship, for lack of a better word. So it's almost like by the time you're really able to recognize it and take it in, you have a secure attachment at that point. Yeah, that and, makes and sense. You have also, you know, varying degrees, someone who has a very severe disorganized attachment, um, they're more likely to, to set the tone and the secure attached partner can be also pulled down, right? Yeah, yeah. So it yeah, can happen yeah. both ways. But if someone with a mild anxious attachment, they find someone with a secure attachment, they're going to, it's great. It's going to be great. You know, okay. So let's touch on this because I want to be clear that I just heard what I heard correctly. Basically, what you're saying is that it could work the opposite way where yes. the insecure person can pull out from the secure person, the not so ideal aspects of a relationship. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's always, it's really always working together. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's more of just, can this happen? Yes, it can happen. It's more of needing to really understand what we're working with here. How severe is this person? You know, there's stress that goes into the relationship that can tax both of them that they didn't expect to come. And so I'm really, what we're talking about right now, though, is the exceptions to the rule. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the most part, 
I think people are, most people are going to find themselves in a relationship if they're in one right now, who can pretty clearly say, maybe with some help on my part, yeah, I have more of that anxious attachment. Yeah, I have more of that avoidant attachment. Yeah. So you talk that. about you talk about the quote unquote rule. What is the rule? The rule is that the majority of couples out there right now are in what I would consider and what you know people who do attachment work would consider an anxious avoidant dynamic. I, you know, as a couples therapist, easily 90% plus of the couples that I work with fall into that category. So you are yeah, going to have people that, you know, are going to, um, uh, you know, kind of not fit into that, that common trajectory. But when I, at, at any point in a given relationship, that's where I'm working. And most of the time, that's where I'm going to come in is when they've, however they got there, whether they both started out that way in childhood or, one of them was a little more secure to begin with. And the other one was really disorganized. However, they got there somehow the emotional energy of their relationship shifted into this balancing act of the anxious avoidant relationship. I love this. I, I want to go back to the first question that I asked in regards to like the biggest hurdles that modern day relationships are um, facing. You talked about mm -hmm. negative cycles, but I want to make sure that I'm not missing any. What's number two and three? Well, all of the problems really kind of begin with a negative cycle because okay. the problem is just a problem that, you know, probably, you know, most couples can work through most problems if there's mm -hmm. enough compatibility there going into it. Um, and then it's the negative cycle that causes those problems to be unworkable. Um, so, you know, if we're talking just surface issues, I mean, the, the, the hardest things I see are, are blended family issues. I mean, those are really, really hard on people because um, there's so many just different competing attachments. Um, sex is a, is a lot of times a big problem. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not sure if you're asking me surface level problems or just kind of root, root issues. Yeah. I'm just seeing what comes to mind. There, there, there's really no agenda to it, but it makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And I guess I have to piggyback off that with asking like from your experience personally, work-wise, et cetera, how recoverable quote unquote are relationships from those modern issues or hurdles? I think they're very recoverable. I mean, with, with access to the right information or access to the right help, you know, some couples are more stressed and more distressed than others. That's just, you know, a fact. And so if some, if a couple is, is kind of like, you know, moderately distressed, they, they have these insecure dynamics, they're have, they're getting into these negative cycles and they have access to good information. You know, my, my Instagram account, my book, other types of work. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are either doing this type of work with attachment or doing the type of work that really feeds into it well. And it kind of is the same idea, but with a different name. Um, those people can actually learn skills to become more emotionally supportive and create an emotionally healthier environment, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean, that's where the healing is. And, you know, a couple who is more distressed, they might need that plus some therapy to help them work through it. Um, but I, you know, I do this work because I know how much hope there is. It, there's a tremendous amount of hope. It's just a matter of le really, truly learning how to um, 
develop more security within yourself and communicate with your partner in a way that reinforces safety, trust, feeling a felt sense of having your attachment needs met and a felt sense of emotional support. Yeah. So if someone's listening to this right now and they find themselves in that position where they have those hurdles in front of them, mm -hmm. what do you suggest, maybe from even a mindset perspective to understand that these are recoverable, right? Like understanding mm -hmm. like, Hey, we're, you know, we're in a patch of our relationship where mm -hmm. it might be a low moment. Like, what do you say to people to help them continuously commit day in and day out to that journey mm -hmm. with their partner? Yeah. So every, um, you know, relationships, we kind of, some people have a tendency to think of as this big, vague thing, right? Our relationship, but relationships are really just a series of interactions with your partner and you, you know, every interaction, you have the opportunity to make it an emotionally healthy one, an emotionally supportive one. Um, even if it's talking about hard things, even if it's, you know, maybe setting a boundary, it doesn't have to sound like, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but it still can be an emotionally healthy interaction. And if you just go through life going, okay, how can I maximize the health of each interaction that I engage in? Um, then you will get there. It just, it's just math. Um, and, you know, just to put this out there, get there isn't always staying together. That's not always the goal. The goal is healthy, right? Um, but I'm, you know, obviously as a therapist, my overall, I'm in the business of keeping couples together because usually that's what they want when they come to me. But if people kind of get this idea that, you know, even if you mess up, you have the next interaction to work with, you know, pick yourself up. Nobody's going to get this right from the get go every time. Um, it's just like anything else that you learn. You just have to learn those skills to use those interactions well. Yeah. You know, one thing that I really admired by a gentleman, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lewis Howes. Do you know him by any chance? He has a podcast called The School of Greatness. And okay. uh, one thing that he did that I absolutely admire, and this is why I'm asking the question, in his current relationship, they started couples therapy right out of the gate. Like that was like the first thing they did. Highly recommend that, but yes, yeah, that's, that, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask, yeah. like, is it ever too early? Like, I thought, I, I think it's such a brilliant idea to be able to have an unbiased third party perspective. Where I mean, there's always two sides of the story, but to like have that, it, it's such a foundational mm -hmm. aspect. Like, is there is there a point where it's ever too early to start? I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think realistically what I would say is, Hey, the, the minute, you know, we want to commit, we want to go forward. You know, we want to be long-term or spend a lifetime together. That's the place to start. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, some starting before that can be really helpful too. It's just, most people aren't going to go to couples therapy with someone that they don't know that they want a long-term relationship with. But sure. you can, if I, I, I believe that if we could get somehow some way you know my fantasy would be getting every couple out there from the get-go five sessions the world would be a different place because most of them are just not growing up with with the skills and so even if you know what happens is, is things start out great at the beginning why because we trust each other we haven't had reason to not yet and then we start getting into these interactions where it just starts to chip away at the trust and it it you know when they have fights, they go further apart and it's harder to get all the way back. 
And so if I come in and I teach couples or whoever, you know, whatever therapist, it doesn't have to be me, obviously, um, how to come back fully and how to prevent the separations during these cycles. They, they have those skills and it just, it's damage control, you know, and it's also just arming you. It's like, it's like going to a parenting class before you have a baby. Yeah. You know, so is it just five before, sessions, right? Yeah. I mean, it depends. I'm, I'm throwing out an average. Okay. Know, depends on the couple, but I think most people can get a pretty good grip on what a negative cycle is and what, where, where our vulnerabilities are and how we can prevent those and, and, and prepare them when they come up in five sessions. Yeah. I love that. That is amazing. I want to throw a, not, not a curveball, but to see where this goes, what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Um, let's see more, more people would ask me, um, you know, I wish more people would ask me, how can I be a better partner mm -hmm. instead of how can I get my partner to change? And okay. I think, you know, I don't, that doesn't mean that there aren't people asking that question. It just means that when I go on social media, what I feel is I'm looking at, you know, just kind of the overall attitude of toward relationships. I feel it's more about what, what can I get? What am I not getting? than it is, what can I give? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, ultimately it needs to be a balance, but I feel that it can kind of, it's kind of skewed right now toward what can I get? What am I not getting? And you can start to get those needs met probably more profoundly by giving what you want than you can by trying to get your partner to change and give, 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 give. You know, I think it, it starts with what you have to offer you know, there's a slippery slope there because we don't want one person in the relationship being the only one that's working and the only one that's giving. But I think that more people than not aren't, aren't so much focused on what they can actually give. It's, it's kind of like, well, what can I do to change? So they change. There's a lot of that narrative out there. Yeah. So what's right your now. advice? What's your advice for people to like draw the line in uh, line in the sand when it comes to, you know, putting that energy forth and wanting that energy mm -hmm. to be matched? Like, how do you how do you develop a boundary around that? So it's like, all right, I'm, you know, trying to do my best here, but mm -hmm. it's not being reciprocated. OK, so imagine if you and your partner just have like this horrible diet, right? You just eat mm -hmm. fast food every single day and like you're starting to have some health issues um, and obviously you want both of you to be on board and maybe try to just add some more vegetables into your life or whatever, just whatever anybody might do to kind of improve their physical health. Right. So are, you know, if you, first you want, just because your partner isn't improving their physical health, doesn't negate the fact that you want to improve yours. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Are you going to, say, well, partner, you know, if you're not going to work with me on this and I'm just going to keep doing what we're doing, I'm just going to keep eating junk food all day and feel bad. Hopefully not. Hopefully the attitude is, look, I want both of us to be on this journey together, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to work on me and I'm going to work on the environment. So I'm going to do my best over here on my part, how I show up in every single interaction, how I, what I decide to eat a candy bar or an apple, right? Not to be food judgy, I hate that, but I'm just trying to use the best analogy that I can. 
here. Um, I'm going to keep, I'm going to change the environment. I'm going to keep different foods in the refrigerator. I'm going to start going and walking. You can come with me. I would love that. Um, and if, you know, and let's just, you know, sort of swinging that back to the relationship climate, it is, there is value in being your best self in the relationship, no matter what your partner is doing. That's how you are putting in the energy into your own environment. That's how you are doing self-care. That's what is going to happen if that relationship ends and you move on to another relationship. Who do you want to have practiced being for the last year or so, right? If they aren't, you know, coming along with you, which it's pretty, you know, it's pretty amazing what can happen when one partner, just to your point about can one secure partner bring the other one up? I mean, that's it, right? You become yeah. your best yeah. self. You start behaving in a way that's healthy. There is a very good chance your partner is not going to have as much reason to be defensive or attacking or whatever. Now, if, if weeks, it's different for every couple, but if weeks or months or even years go by and you're sitting there going, all right, I'm doing all this work. I really am growing. I really am becoming my best self. And I'm not really, I'm still not really feeling fulfilled in this relationship. I don't feel close. I still feel, you know, kind of like there's something more or I have to be the one that, you know, kind of ends the fights or whatever. That's when you might want to start looking at, you know, whatever it is for you, more help, um, maybe breaking up, maybe if that's not a possibility, maybe accepting, okay, this is the best my partner can do. And I'm going to have to let go of any other expectations. It, you know, so yeah. I really encourage people be your best self and your best self is not a doormat either. Mm. You touched on something and I, I think this is so like such a perfect segue. I, from conversations like this, I mean, we've done 300 plus podcast episodes mm -hmm. and of course not every single one is about relationships, but we've done quite a few on that topic. Sure. And one thing that I feel like pops up in these conversations is exactly what you just touched on people in relationships begin to lose their sense of individuality mm -hmm. and they be, they're no longer an individual and they just become a unit. And mm -hmm. I understand that's part of it, but to become a unit, there's two people, right? So I want to yeah. touch on that a little bit deeper. What can we do to not lose our sense of self, like not lose who we are, not lose our passions, our interests, our hobbies, mm -hmm. right? Just, I mean, Maybe it's because, hey, you don't want to get up off the couch and make whomever you're dating feel bad instead of, mm -hmm. you know, watching Netflix as opposed to going out and getting your run in at night after work mm -hmm. or something of that sort. I'm curious, like, how do we not lose our sense of self? Well, it is, you know, it's a good question because, um, you know, what I'm always looking at is, do we have too much close? Well, I don't call it real closeness. I call it enmeshment when it gets too far to one extreme, but because real closeness isn't, isn't enmeshed, right? Um, usually if, if a couple is doing too much together, spending too much together, thinking that we have to think the same way, we have to feel the same way or something's wrong, um, that's a substitute. That's a poor substitute for closeness that they really don't know how to find, right? And then we, on the other extreme, we have this like too much disconnection, where we're not really meeting each other. We're not spending enough time together. We're not doing things to actively nurture the relationship. Um, so I think that it's a matter of a 
like really tapping in to what you're feeling. Like, are you feeling like, Hey, I feel like there's this part of me that kind of wants to do a little more for myself. I'm feeling kind of stifled. Um, when we're around, we're bickering a lot or I'm longing to spend some time with other people. That is your body saying, Hey, maybe there's, you need to get out and, and explore, you know, you have a drive for self growth or, or something. Um, maybe that's your body saying, Hey, you know, we need to go kind of, kind of vary it up a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where you, you bring up the conversation with your partner, which is, you know, what I'm noticing is, is that something inside of me is wanting to go spend a little more time apart. What's that like for you? Do you ever have those thoughts, you know, kind of opening up that conversation and then listening to your body and in taking some steps there because yeah. it's your body has a lot of really important, you know, things to say to you. And it's really valuable to listen to that. And what happens is, is if you have an insecure attachment, some people might be scared to listen to that part. It might feel mm -hmm. threatening. Well, what if I start going out and then they start going out? And what if this and what if that? What if they get mad? You know, and you're holding all that in. It's not being talked about. That's the problem. How do we know our body's talking to us versus our mind? Like, what are some of the signs our body would give us? Um. A, a, a tightening feeling um, in your chest, um, a clenching in your stomach, tension in your back. And, and you know, it, it, that's your body talking about emotions, but your mind is interpreting those feelings. So let's say your partner says, hey, let's watch Netflix tonight. I'm so excited, right? You're at work and, you know, something in your body just kind of deflates. Something is happening right there. Your body is telling you something right there with that deflation. Your mind's job is that at that point to say, what's going on with me right now? What's, what's that deflated about? It might be about wanting to go do something by yourself. It might be about any number of things, but the point is, is to not override that and ignore it. It's to listen, tap in and say, Hey, what's going on? Why am I feeling this kind of disappointed feeling? Is there something else in my mind that would help me feel more filled up with my evening? Or am I kind of still hurting from a wounding thing that my partner said this morning? Mm. Yeah, I, I want to take a step backwards because you you touched on something that I think was brilliant. You talked about how individuals um, uh, essentially are allowed to think and believe different things. How do we get to that point? Like, how do we get to the point where we accept that? the way someone else grew up is the way they grew up and it doesn't have to be exactly aligned and we can coexist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like how, how do we get there? Well, first of all, I think there's something to be said for overall compatibility in the areas where it really matters, especially values, you know, how we want to raise our children as far as maybe religion goes and things like this. So I don't want to throw that compatibility out of the window because that matters too, right? Yeah. But then we also have to recognize that the most compatible person in the two people in the world will find somewhere where they're not going to see eye to eye. And that's okay. Um, and it's okay if there are a lot of those areas, as long as you have enough resilience making compatibility over here too. It's kind of, you know, do we have enough of a balance? If there's not enough compatibility, you know, then there's just going to be too much conflict to do, to, to navigate through. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that it's just a matter of being authentic about talking about the way you see and feel things about things instead of kind of hiding because you don't want to cause friction or a trigger. 
at the same time, the, the bigger piece probably is having the ability to step into your partner's world and understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, say, you know what, listen, I don't, you know, think this about X political issue. My background is very different, but when I look at their background and I look at their childhood and some of the things that they learned and struggled with, it makes sense to me that that's the conclusion that they're coming to. I, I don't come to the same conclusion. I would handle this issue differently, but at the same time I can get, I get it. I get them. Yeah, that yeah. is, you know, without letting go of your own, your own view, your, your own perspective, your own feelings about it. And ideally the other partners able to do the same. And that's, yeah. you know, they're okay with that. They're okay with, you know, my husband and I, we see eye to eye in a lot of areas and there are some areas where we don't see eye to eye and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I've definitely found that to be challenging at times where it's not to say that it's like my way or the highway, but it's like, wow, mm-hmm. that's so different. Um, you know, uh, it's, I think that's a, yeah. a part of the journey, but I appreciate that elaboration. And you mentioned the importance of resilience in that area. I'm curious to learn what you feel like, what else we need, maybe characteristic wise or beyond that contributes to a lifetime lasting relationship. Um, you know, I think that for me, it all boils down to the core, which is emotional support. Mm-hmm. I think humans need emotional support from each other. And, you know, part of emotional support, a, a, one component of emotional support is physical support, which always circles back to emotional support. You know, it's, it's, it's physical stimulation and, and humans need that, but it also communicates you're valuable, you're needed. I want you, I love you. I'm willing to respond to you. Um, so it, it all, it all to me circles back to an emotionally supportive relationship, because when you can have a difference of opinion with your partner about some political issue that really means a lot to you, and they're able to say, honey, I see it differently, but I absolutely value your perspective. I'm willing to continue to try to learn more about how you see and feel about things. You know, I'm not there yet as far as agreeing. I might not ever be there and I understand the same, but that doesn't take away from my love for you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. emotional support, you know, in an in an set, uh, interaction of disagreement about facts. And, um, you know, I think that it's when things start to get, you know, it, it, well, I'll, I'll stop there. You, you go. No, I, I love okay. this. Uh, I'm curious because, you know, maybe there's someone that's listening to this that might be in like the early stage of dating. So is there mm-hmm. any signs that we can start to look for where, I don't know, it might be a little uncomfortable to uh, emotionally support someone in the way that you've elaborated on um, in, in such an early stage. So are there any signs that people could be on the lookout for to say, okay, cool. Like this person has it. Well, you and I are emotionally supporting each other right now, right? We've never met before. Um, you know, we're going to leave this podcast and go about our days, but yet there is an emotionally supportive interaction happening. Mm-hmm. You're listening to me. I'm listening to you. We're making eye contact. Um, we're, we're sending the message. I, I respect you. I value what you're saying to me. I mean, there's a lot of, of stuff happening. If I were, 
there's any number of things that I could be doing or any number of things that you could be doing that could be making both of us feel really bad right now and unsupported. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know that there are probably many things we don't agree about and many things that we do agree about. Right. So that that's the case with dating. It's just that, you know, we're not go you and I aren't going into this deep conversation about who we are and our childhood wounds and things like that, but we don't need to be. And so if you're on a date with someone and you're feeling heard, you're feeling seen, you're feeling like they really do just want to understand who you are and where you're coming from, even if you're just talking about how stressful it was for you to get to the coffee shop because you left your phone on the bus and, you know, and they're, they're engaged and they're listening instead of being like, well, why'd you leave your phone? Is that something you normally do? You know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, are they reciprocating or are they just sitting there staring at you and not really telling you about their day and not really, you know, the conversation isn't flowing. Um, maybe they're nervous too. You know, there's different reasons that could be the case, but we want to look for, am I divulging some information? And then they reciprocate by divulging some information or is one person taking up all the space or, you know, um, are we going too deep too soon? Do we not really know that you might be able, this person can hold, you know, some vulnerability that I'm bringing to the table too soon. You know, we want to be vulnerable, but we want to be measured with our vulnerability based on how well we know and trust this person. Mm -hmm. And so are we kind of going into that deeper and, and more than anything, it's a felt sense of, do I, do I feel valued? Is this person kind of interviewing me? Like I'm an object to kind of fit their list. Um, you know, are they looking around? Are they, do they see some, you know, attractive other person over across the room and they won't stop looking? That's kind of like saying, Hey, I'm not really present with you right now. Yeah. So we're really just looking for these really basic emotional support that every human can have or not have in an interaction, regardless of how close they are to each other. You mentioned the quote unquote list. Are you referring to a list of what you want your ideal partner to be? Yes. People, okay. A lot of people pay too much attention to that list and no attention to the felt sense of their emotional needs being met appropriate to the relationship. How important do you feel like that list is important for someone to have? I do. I think sometimes the list might, you know, it, it depends. There's different types of lists, different things, motivating lists, but yeah, I mean, I think that these surface things are really important. It's just mm -hmm. they can't come at the expense of what really matters. You know, someone can meet that list, right? They're attractive. They have a great job. They came from a nice family. They like to go to the gym. They like to travel. They like wine. They like to walk on the beach and be an absolute narcissist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there ever too much on that list? Yeah, I think so. I think if you're, if you're, basically not in touch with what feels good in an interaction as far as just, you know, those, those emotional that emotional reciprocation and the sense of connectedness, right. Mm. Then if you don't know what that is, you're, you're going to rely too much on a list. Yeah. I've don't created that list a couple of times. That's why I'm asking. It's just, I never knew if I had too much or had too little, but I, mm -hmm. I found that the more important list for me personally was the list that my partner would write about me. Like, Oh yeah, that's beautiful. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I felt yeah. like that was more important. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. really sweet. <laughs>
Yeah. So yeah, new book on the way. Oh, go yes. ahead, Julie. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I'm always, I'm always moving into making emotional meaning of that, but it's like, I know I'm wanted. I know I'm valuable. Yeah. I know I'm, yeah. I'm being seen and understood for the strengths I'm bring, bringing to the table. That's what, when you say that, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I think yeah. it gives you something to strive for too, right? I mean, it, it's essentially like a list of goals in a sense of like yeah. who your partner and, you know, granted I'm in a relationship now, but like who that person would want to be sitting across from the table with or on the altar with, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, it gives you something to strive for in every bucket of life, right? Uh, relationally, financially, yeah. career-wise, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Um, new book on the way. That's exactly why I asked you the question before, because your subtitle for the new book is create a relationship that lasts a lifetime, Mm -hmm. Uh, new book, secure love. We're going to make sure that the link to that is in the show notes of this episode, but a couple of questions around this, you know, we already touched on what you feel like allows for a relationship to last a lifetime, Mm -hmm. but you use a word in the subtitle of the book. And that word is create. And when Mm -hmm. I hear the word create, I instantly feel like I have the power to drive where this relationship goes. And when I say I, I'm also referring to my partner, but I'm curious, how much do you believe that we as humans have the power and how much is fate or destiny a part of a relationship? Um, I mean, if, you know, again, if you get into a relationship where there's just overall a sense of you know, compatibility in the sense that, you know, I always circle it kind of back to if we were to have children, because that's where the compatibility, like you, for a lot of couples, it's how are we going to raise our kids? Where are we going to live long term? You know, how are we going to choose, you know, our life together in the most impactful ways? If we have all of that sort of in place, I think we have all the power in the world. I really do. Um, and I say that just based on my own personal experience. And I say that based on just working with hundreds and hundreds of couples that we do have so much more power. I don't think it's a matter of not having power. I think it's a matter of not having the right information and not having had the right background that you just kind of grew up learning how to be in it, in a healthy relationship. Okay. To me, it's a matter of lack of that combined with a lack of information for what you need to do to go forward to actually create that. Some people figure it out on their own, you know, with trial and error too. Absolutely. That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you a fill in the blank question. I've never done this. And I think this is our 302nd episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fill in the blank. I'm terrible with spontaneity, by the way. (laughs) Oh, am I? I... (laughs) It's okay. Go for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, secure love is possible for everyone. If, if they are willing to learn what it requires and put it into practice. Okay. What does it require? It requires for one, it requires, you know, the ability to have, get your nervous system into a state in moments and interactions where you can show up as your best self. So sometimes people who have a hard time with that because they have some trauma reactions or just too much, their triggers overpower them. They might need to go get some work to help them get their nervous systems regulated so that they can be their best self. And then it requires, you know, knowing how do I be myself best self in this moment? 
Your partner walks in the door and they throw the keys down and you've asked them a thousand times to please put the keys in the drawer. Um, you need to know what the healthy response is right there. The, all the all the self-regulation in the world might not be enough if you don't know what to do next, like what comes next. You don't, you don't want to be nagging your partner all the time. You want them to be able to live and have free will. And, but at the same time, you also need your needs met because you like to have a tidy house and things put in their place. So, you know, those moments can be really hard for people just not knowing how to navigate something that seems so simple on the outside. You did really good for someone that doesn't like spontaneity. Oh, when you're talking about professional, I'm, I'm there. It's, it's oh. when people ask me things like, who do you want to go to dinner with? If you could go to dinner with anyone dead or alive. I'm like, ah. Well, what's your answer to that? Oh, that's so funny. Cause I, I, someone asked me last week and, and it was the lamest answer ever. I said, um, first I said my husband, then I said my best friend. Because uh, those are I great answers. Think, well, because it's very, I'm so I tend to think so pra practically and I was like, no matter who, how great the person is, they're still a stranger and they're still like, there's no way I could really pick their brain in, in a two hour dinner. So right. it's like, it doesn't feel like it would be, you know, like thinking, do I really want to like get ready and <laughs> go leave the house <laughs> and who would I want to do that with? Um, but at the end I did circle back and I, and I had an answer. Gobber Mate would be the, you know, the person beyond my personal world. So. That's a great answer as well. That is definitely a great answer. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of last questions before we wrap sure. up here. Uh, this is a question that was actually asked to me. And ever since it was asked on this show, I said, I'm going to ask every single guest. Uh, the okay. question is, how would my life be different? if I knew what Julie knows, and of course I know that we just met, so it's more hypothetical per se, but I'm curious, how would my life be different or how would our audience's life be different if we knew what you know? Okay, well, I just actually got, and I got chills because um, the answer is you would have really thriving close relationships, really connected, deep um, relationships where it feels just so good to, to give to that person and get back from that person. I love that. And, and, and a, a sense of a deep sense of empowerment that you know how to, to navigate that world with ease and navigate the ruptures. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. That is absolutely a beautiful thing. Life because I have had a lot of life where I didn't have that. So I know mm -hmm. the difference. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people could resonate and relate to that too. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, again, I just want to make sure that everyone knows Secure Love, the link to the book is in the show notes of this episode, as well as Julie's socials, websites, all of that good stuff. Last question for you. Great. And then I have a question for you. Oh, okay. That, that works. Okay. If you make it to whatever year you want to live to, mm -hmm. you instill secure love in as many people as you want you know you set your children up whatever it is that you want to do you accomplish in life but you could only be remembered for one thing now i'm not asking you how um you know uh, the the substance of this question is like if if a, if a piece of advice was like etched into the tombstone what would that advice be she helped people be their best selves okay
that's what it would be for sure. I love that. I love yeah. that, Julie. Thank you. This was such a beautiful conversation. It's going to shift a lot of lives, a lot of relationships even. Um, so I'm very grateful for the opportunity. You're so, uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, 100%. Again, Secure Love, the link to that is in the show notes of the episode, socials, all of that good stuff. Do you have anything else that we should let people know about? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a website, thesecurerelationship.com, where I have cool. therapists working for me and me that we do all the same type of work to help people get there. So if awesome. You know, I think the book and, and self-help on social media, again, you know, there's a lot of us out there doing this work right now in different ways. Um, and it, and some people are going to find answers there and some people might need that next level. So. Okay, great. We'll have that in the show notes as well. But Julie, thank you so much. You're welcome. Awesome. So my that question for you, are you a Jets fan? I am not. Um, oh, <laughs> are you a Jets fan? Yes, I love the Jets. Why do you love the Jets? Uh, okay, so it started with um, just loving their green helmets, honestly. Like okay. I was just something in my heart for them. And then I just, I don't know, I sort of just kept going that way. And then I was, I came to New York. I try to come to New York once a year for work stuff. And so I was out there in the fall and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go to a Jets game. And so I, my mentor, George, he is in Connecticut, but he was in, he was a New York firefighter in nine 11 and he okay. actually went in and rescued people. And so, but he's now my mentor that teaches me everything I know. And so I, I was like, will you go to the Jets game with me? He was like, okay. So I got, I got front row tickets, like on the 20 yard line and got in just randomly caught them when they beat the Eagles, which was like, um, that's amazing. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. And then so last night, if you're not a Jets fan, you might not know, but they won like they had like the best game ever, like 30. I saw. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fantasy football guy. So like whoever's on my fantasy okay. team, I, I, I root for. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of my friends are Jet fans. Um, okay. I don't root for any team that's New York based, which is crazy to say, uh -huh. um, outside of the Knicks. So okay. Okay. Every, everyone else, I'm like a diehard Atlanta Brave fan, like okay. you know, born and raised in Queens. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm weird I with see. sports. Well, I mean, look at me. I'm in Montana and rooting for the from Jets. LA and I'm a Jets fan. I love so. that. You have just completed an all new episode of the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend Julie Manano. With that being said, you could check out Julie's new book in the show notes of this episode, where you will be able to easily access it with one simple click of a link to go grab your copy. Now, I know that you found this episode to be of value, otherwise, you would not be listening to my voice still coming through your headphones, your car speakers, or your phone, however, you're listening to this. So make sure that you check Julie out in the show notes. You can grab a copy of her new book check out her website check out her socials follow her do all of that good stuff and i'm letting you know we just put this out there every episode has all of the resources that you need from that particular episode in the show notes always all of those good links in the show notes make sure you check it out and as i'm putting that out there let me put one more thing out there it is on your heart and it's on your mind to make sure that you're sharing this episode with someone in your life who may need what julie and i just discussed here today with that being said 
you are still tuned into this. You are still listening to this. You found this to be of value. Otherwise, you would have turned this off a while ago. So knowing that you are still here and still listening to this, the people that are in proximity to you will most definitely be like-minded. Being that they are like-minded, it is very safe to say that they too will find this to be of value, entertaining, or whatever the reason is that you are still here listening to us. So make sure that you are sharing this episode with those people that are in your life. Throw this up on your Instagram story. Throw this in your group chat. Talk about it at the water cooler in your office. You just dedicated your time to expand over the last hour. There's someone in your life that needs this episode. You now have the power to impact them and deliver that impact that they are seeking. Whether they tell you they need it or not, I guarantee you there is someone that will thank you for sharing this with them. So I'm putting that back on your heart and on your mind to make sure you share this episode. Furthermore, I have been getting such incredible feedback from all of the solo episodes that we've been putting out and i just wanted to say thank you for checking those out if you want more slide into the dms drop the tweets whatever you got to do uh just put it out there we love doing these solo episodes so make sure you are tapped in with us we're dropping episodes every monday and every thursday if you want to check these episodes out on youtube you could also do that we have all the videos out on youtube Watch us, join us, however you prefer. We have every single avenue covered. Thank you so much for rocking with us today. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.